Angie has made it easier than ever to hire high-quality pros to get all your home service jobs done well. Just bring them your project online or with the Angie app, answer a few questions, and Angie will connect you with local pros who match your specific needs. Or book a service instantly at an upfront price. So join the millions of homeowners who use Angie to care for their homes and get your next home service job done well. Download the free Angie mobile app today or visit Angie.com. That's A-N-G-I dot com. So much for helping us remember what's being lost in this. Uh, it's hard to hear, but those are members of the greatest generation. Thank you, brother, for telling their stories. I'm Chris Cuomo. Welcome to Primetime. This president says he wants to reopen the economy in a little over two weeks from now. That's almost the exact time that experts and projections show the worst crush of extreme cases hitting the financial capital of the country. Does that make sense to you? Let's test it on all relevant bases. We'll bring in the governor of the state with the second most cases. He has news that you're not going to like, but you have to hear. We have a doctor on the front lines on the opposite coast fighting in the state with the third most cases. What would this look like there? And then the message behind the movement to reopen, which is literally shameful. A Republican lawmaker getting a huge platform to say to members of the greatest generation, it's time to give again for the economy. That, my friends, is the disease talking, not the cure. That can't stand on our watch. Together as ever as one, we'll get through this. So what do you say? Let's get after it. Breaking news tonight, a senior federal health official involved in the coronavirus response tells CNN public health professionals are now drafting options to allow people to take a step back into society in certain areas. The source says this could be a, quote, rolling response with restrictions eased in various areas at different times. And all this comes with the president wanting churches packed by Easter Sunday. Listen to him. Easter is our timeline. What a great timeline that would be. There's tremendous hope as we look forward and we begin to see the light at the end of the tunnel. Is the light at the end of the tunnel the pain train? That's the question. The governor of New York, of course, my brother, is warning that a wave is going to break in about 14 days. He's not making it up. That's what his experts say. Here's him. President said it's a war. It is a war. Well, then act like it's a war. What am I going to do with 400 ventilators when I need 30,000? You pick the 26,000 people who are going to die because you only sent 400 ventilators. Now, he's upset. I'm biased. He's my brother. Let's get a fair opinion. Another governor in the tri-state area, the governor of New Jersey, Phil Murphy, state with the second most cases. You gave people news. You know, I had a lot of family in New Jersey, uh, grew up in, on Lake Hopacong uh, during the summers. You gave your constituents news today that they needed to know and they didn't want to hear. What's the reality of case growth in your state? Good to be with you, Chris. It's not good. Uh, we now have 3,675 positive cases. We're... I have to say we're not shocked by that. We knew this was coming in part because we've opened up testing so aggressively, uh, but the numbers are are going straight up. And sadly, we announced uh, 17 new deaths for a total now of 44 blessed souls who have lost their lives in our state. This is tough stuff. Uh, We're not not, uh, there yet. So we're going to stay the course with what we've started now for almost several months ago. Uh, We're going to be hunkered down for a while. 
Uh, you heard Andrew say his experts say two, three weeks is when he's going to be at full flush with hospitalization cases, testing the system's capacity. What do your experts tell you? I'd say that's probably about right. Maybe we're going to come in a little bit behind that. Your brother's doing a great job, by the way. And a lot of the response really is more powerful when we do it as a region. So he and Governor Lamont in Connecticut, Governor Wolf in Pennsylvania and I have done a lot together. Uh, but I think we're at least two or three weeks away. We're a little bit behind the New York uh, reality, but we're living the same. We're living the same reality. So speaking of reality, the president says, Governor, I, I get that you're, fear, you're afraid, you're worried about it, um, but enough is enough. Easter means a lot to the president, he says, one of his favorite times, deep meaning. We should be reopened then. What will that mean in New Jersey? Listen, I hope he's right, but I, 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 I'd be lying to you, Chris, if I said that I, I, I don't see that. Um, our, you know, we're trying to make our decisions based on data, science, facts, And the facts tell us aggressive social distancing. Do everything we can to club that curve down on the front end and expand as aggressively as we can with hospital beds, equipment, and healthcare workers, the true heroes here uh, on the healthcare side. And the combination of both will get you to a better place. But that's, listen, I hope he's right. I would love nothing more than to be able to responsibly begin to open up things. In, in, a, in a few weeks, uh, I, I just fear that we're not going to be there yet. Well, look, I mean, you know, it's all about the perspective also uh, that you hope he's right. But if come Easter, you're still accelerating cases, your hospitals are taking it on the chin. And he says, too bad, Murphy, time to reopen. Do you ignore the directive? Listen, we got one president, uh, and that's the reality. He helped me get four field hospitals yesterday. We got another slug of pro- uh, personal protective equipment. We're, we're a fraction of what we need. Uh, but the fact of the matter is uh, I, I can, as the chief executive of this state, if the numbers are still going up and we still have more folks, sadly, who are passing on, uh, the pain may be high in terms of our lifestyle and our economy I can't relent. We're going to have to stay the course no matter what. What if he starts coming after you? Murphy is weak. Murphy wants to drown his own state. Uh, Murphy is trying to do this to hurt me and he's hurting his own people. The numbers are okay there, I feel. What do you say? Remember, we're in Jersey, so we got a lot of we got a lot of spine. Skin is very thick. Lots of attitude. Uh, We'll we'll stand tall uh, and we'll try to reason based on the facts. Listen, if the facts are going in the right direction and and no one wants that more than I do, uh, that's a that's one thing. Uh, But my fear based on the meetings we're having constantly would suggest that we're not going to be out of the woods by then. I hope I'm wrong. I hope they're wrong. My fear is they're not. And if they're not. We have to stay the course, and I will do everything I can in my power to do just that. Right. We just have to remember the other part of the aphorism, right? Uh, We hope someone's right. We prepare for the worst. We hope for the best. Uh, And the testing on the president is 100 percent. Where's the preparation for the worst? Where's the facts that uh, outline this system? You're not seeing it in your state. Uh, My brother's not seeing it in New York. In California, the governor's not seeing it there. So the the question becomes, what is the basis for his optimism uh, other than belief in the Easter bunny? And now they're saying in New York, the quarantine uh, that are you worried that you're next? 
that they say, hey, look, most of us are okay. It's those East Coasters and those West Coasters. Yeah. You know, those New Yorkers, anywhere they go, they should quarantine for 14 days. And next, could it be you? Those New Jersey people out there in the East, those Northeasterners, they've got to be quarantined if they come around the rest of us. Are you worried about the message? Listen, we are in so many respects. I mentioned the region. <clears throat> in so many respects, we're locked in this together, New Jersey and New York uh, and our neighbors as well, but particularly the two of us. Uh, my view is we, we keep our head down. Uh, we, we continue to base our decisions based on the facts, on science, on the professionals who give us this input, uh, and based on everything we see, cracking the back of that curve through aggressive social distancing. We started meeting on this in January, so we've been trying to stay out ahead of this for months now. We just locked it down even further over the weekend. We got we to gotta let some days pass here to see how that's impacting the, the health care reality. But we got to continue to do that. And I, we got our heads down, focused on that. And please, God, I can't wait for that, that curve to crest and start to go the other direction where we can responsibly start to put our toe back in the water. I'll, I'll be all in for that. But we can't fire that bullet too early. I, I fear that the backlash, the price we'll pay, will be overwhelming if we misfire then. Right. I had somebody say to me, a priest who's a friend of mine today, yes, Easter is rebirth and renewal, but it came after the passion of the Christ. It came after the pain. And the pain is coming here as well. And you can't get away from the pain uh, just by creating a false start uh, for rebirth and renewal. It doesn't work that way. Now, your state came into sharp focus early on as kind of the face of the pain. One family, the Fuscos, um, so many, four of them taken oh. by this, a bunch of them uh, testing positive. They don't know if it's something about their family or something specific to their community. You know, your office jumped on it when you heard about it. You got them testing. You got attention. How much did that throw you that one family could be affected that way? What was the lesson in that for you? First of all, it threw us all uh, in a big way. I mean, God bless them. Uh, multiple mortalities in one family. And Chris, you know, well, you, you yourself were helpful and we thank you for that. But they had gathered for a family get together several, I think only three Sundays ago. And there was one index person in that group, in that family that was connected to the first death we had in New Jersey. And they're all, they had been connected through the standard bread horse re reality, but it sent shockwaves. Um, God bless them. Uh, we've, we have been successful in getting them their tests, uh, but they're reeling. And, it, and it's, it, it was a real shot across the proverbial bow that this virus, which so many people for too long thought was abstract, was real. It was hitting right here in my county, in Monmouth County, in multiple deaths in one family. Uh, that, that shook a lot of people. No question about it. Uh, last question, Governor, what do you need most right now that you cannot provide yourself? So I would say, Chris, uh, three things. And I want to thank the president in his administration. We need hospital beds. So we've got four field hospitals getting erected by, the, by FEMA and the Army Corps. We'll, that will allow us to displace currently cared for individuals, non-COVID, mm -hmm. into those hospitals to free up critical care beds. We're going to have to open up closed wings and closed hospitals. That's on us. Secondly, we need more personal protective equipment. We have a fraction of what we need. Our healthcare workers are at the point of attack, and we need a lot more to protect them and to allow them to care. And thirdly, we're aggressively trying to expand 
the, um, the pool of health care workers. One last ask out of the federal government. Please, God, Congress passes and the president signs a really big stimulus program with direct state aid, big community block grants, unemployment insurance support, small businesses, hospital transit support. That will be a huge positive jolt, not just in the health care, but also in our economy. Well, Governor, thank you for joining us. I know how much you have on your plate right now. Uh, The country is watching states like yours in New York because you are the ghost of coronavirus future. I mean, this is going to come to them in different ways. And hopefully we'll learn uh, by what you guys are having to learn the hard way as you deal with your communities. God bless. Be well. uh, And I hope to speak to you again soon. If there's anything that you need us to get out, we'll call away. Thank you, Chris. That means a lot. Thanks for having me. All right. Be well, Governor. So, you know, again, a little bit of the irony here, those field hospitals, okay, uh, the timing of when they'll get the equipment they need to deal with the crush. Do you know what it lines up with? The exact same timing of when the president says it'll be time to reopen. How does that work logically? Think about it. You'll be getting fully equipped for the worst of it at the same time that I think it's ready to reopen us. Does that make sense for Easter? Like rebirth and renewal or is it more renewed pain? Uh, and renewed problems? That's the question. We're going to ask Sanjay Gupta, what makes sense about this timing? What doesn't make sense? What about the quarantine? Is this medical or is it political? He's got the best answers. That's why he's chief doctor. So here is what we understand at the moment. 85% of new coronavirus cases are happening either in Europe or right here. Now that is from the WHO, the World Health Organization. If that's true, if this is the most robust site of the virus's growth, how are we just a couple of weeks from reopening? Sanjay Gupta, obviously, uh, working round the clock. I, I noticed Fauci, Burks, Azar, Nobody with any kind of public policy in the health area seconded the president on this. Where is two weeks coming from? Well, I mean, you know, the, the original thing, as you know, Chris, was the 15-day pause. Mm-hmm. And, and then people were, you know, I think the, the impression was from public health officials, including Fauci, at that point we reevaluate. Mm-hmm. But the reevaluation very much felt like, look, we may have to get more strict at that time. I think what happened since then was that the, you know, this, this idea of Easter, which is about three and a half weeks, just over three and a half weeks, uh, has sort of come up. And what Fauci says, and, you know, he's pretty masterful at this, he's saying, look, we will look at the data. We're taking this on a day-by-day basis, and we'll look at the data. But, Chris, I think to your point, we know the numbers are going to get worse. We know that the numbers that we're seeing now are reflective of the situation 10 to 14 days ago, because that's how long it takes for the, the testing to sort of catch up. What's been happening over the last 10 to 14 days? I mean, we, we know the virus has been spreading. Uh, that's pretty clear. So the numbers are going to get worse. I don't know how you would reconcile an increase in numbers, not only in terms of the actual size of numbers, but the pace at which they're growing and be able to say, OK, now it's time to dial it back. You know, I don't think any public health official would agree with that. So what they say instead is, look, we'll keep following the data and see where it leads. I mean, look, I think it's pretty clear based on everybody I've talked to around the president uh, that this is about him. 
Uh, he does not like the situation he's in. He's blaming the experts. He doesn't like the advice he's gotten. He thinks he should have stuck to his own gut about just telling people that this will go away and eventually the numbers will resolve and he needs the economy to win. I don't think there's any reason for me to have to hide from that reality. You deal with the medical evidence of it. Uh, me talking to the political sources. I don't see anybody supporting him with any kind of fact. And then you have to reconcile it with him saying that if you're from New York, you should be quarantined if you go anywhere else. Well, if it's that urgent yeah. that you need to quarantine an entire state from the rest of the country, that's also the financial capital. How are you ready to reopen? Yeah, I mean, there's there's a cognitive dissonance here, you know, for sure. I mean, people are hearing totally different things. And I think every time they hear something, it either makes them more panicked or it makes them say, hey, look, this isn't a big deal after all. Um, you know, the reality is I think that the public health officials have, you know, they've been pretty consistent on this uh, with regard to saying, hey, for the next 15 days originally, stay home as much as possible. This is how we break the chain of transmission. This is what social distancing is all about, what it can do. And then we'll reevaluate and as possible we get more stringent at that point. I think they, you know, they've pointed to South Korea and China and said, hey, look, there's evidence of success around the world. What we're describing here is not going to be in perpetuity, right. but let's look look at those places that had success, eight to 10 week sort of cycles of right. this. So there, there, there is sort of a time frame there. It may not be exactly, you know, going to fit the same time scale here in the United States, but at least you have some idea. But this idea of two weeks and then we're going to pull back, the virus grows. So we put more, more uh, stringent measures on, virus comes back. Then we, we let, let the foot off the gas again. It doesn't make sense. That's what happened in Hong Kong, Chris. We've talked about this. They were doing really well. Um, and I'm not criticizing Hong Kong because they, they were doing really well. But as soon as they started to pull back on the mitigation measures, the numbers doubled yep. in just a few days, Chris. That's what we were trying to avoid here. And this 14 day number he's playing with now, they had taken that off the protocol. Uh, they're not even using that measurement anymore. And he's now the president's using it out yeah. of political convenience, uh, apparently. Let me ask you about something else. So this like no name lieutenant governor, like lieutenant governors don't get a lot of attention in this country. And then the lieutenant governor of Texas, Dan Patrick, gets this big platform on state TV over on Fox to say, you know, the seniors, uh, they're going to have to make a judgment. You know, I I'm willing to go back to work. If I die, I die. I'll do it for the sake of the economy and the next generation. What do you make of that being put out there? It's not being put out there by accident. Well, well, look, I, I, I um, that that's disappointing. I mean, there, there's no two ways about it. I mean, you know, this this uh, we made this film called The Unseen Enemy, and and that's what this virus is. You don't you don't see it until all of a sudden it's it's all around you. I mean, you know, there's still a lot of people who are saying to themselves. I don't get it. I don't know what the big deal is. I don't see anything. My life is the same. All I'm being asked to do is stay home. The problem is that it is, it is here, it is circulating, and we're about a two-week or so lag period here. Within the next two weeks, things are going to change dramatically in many places around the country. And, you know, you don't want to be sort of getting ready to deal with this at that point. Um, trust me, you know, I've covered a lot of these types of pandemics. At that point, it is too late. There's just no way you could possibly keep up. So, I, you know, it, it's, it's true in medicine as it is in public health. People don't like to deal with issues until it's slapping them in the face. And I, and I worry with this particular thing and, and what we're hearing from the lieutenant governor out of Texas, that they're going to put themselves in a position where they're just not going to have any, uh, any, any sort of recourse in order to be able to react. Sanjay Gupta, you are the man. You are the best of us. Thank you for keeping our heads in the game on this all-important story. You got it, Chris. And he's right to call it the invisible enemy. But you know what is all too visible? How we react to it. 
And this idea of opening back up exactly when they say the cases are, are, are going to spike, you know it makes no sense. What you don't know is who will talk sense to this president? Who will convince him that what is best for him and his mind may not square with reality? That is a troubling question. So let's try to do it a hundred different ways. Now let's go to the front lines. Let's talk to somebody who's there. What will it look like in California if you open back up in two weeks? Do they see a light at the end of the tunnel? Or is that light the pain train? Next. All right, so look, this problem is everywhere in the country to different degrees. So you go from the big cases in New York, New Jersey, go across the country, California, Washington, big city in California, Los Angeles. The mayor says tonight they're about six days behind New York, meaning what? That if it spikes in New York in two, three weeks, that about six days after that, they will then be in the deepest of the problem by region, by city, by state. So what would that look like if things were supposed to be relaxed in two weeks in California? Dr. Ryan McGarry is living the reality in Los Angeles in the ER. Doctor, welcome to primetime. God bless you and the people working by your side, taking care of these cases. Um, And I want you to know we know what you're doing and we appreciate you. Thank you, Chris. I appreciate it. I had a shift earlier today. I want you to know I showered and deconned before cleaning up to come on the show. I appreciate it. Um, You look like somebody who would be working in Los Angeles in an emergency room. You're all good looking out there. Now, let me ask you this. Good looking doctor, ugly reality. If we relax restrictions, if there is a reopening of employment and uh, those dynamics where you are right now, what do you think it will look like in your ER? Well, I would look at it this way. You know, I've heard a lot of war analogies recently. Um, I, I use this analogy respectfully. My grandfather fought in World War II. I, you know, yet to be seen yet if my generation could do what they did. But right now we're being called the front line, doctors and nurses. And imagine with today's rhetoric coming out of Washington and what you're hearing, being on the front line in Germany back there in World War II uh, or approaching Normandy, and finding out, nah, they might be calling off the Air Force. And I say that with seriousness. You, the American public, your viewers tonight, all of you at home, are indeed our Air Force. You, you are protecting us by staying at home and taking these directives from scientists and doctors seriously. If you don't stay home and this gets worse, well, we've lost part of our war here and part of our, our support. And I think it's something that we're all really scared about. The reality in the ER, what you're seeing in terms of how people struggle in the cases that require hospitalization and what it is like life on a ventilator and what it is for people who need them and don't get them. What is that reality? Well, you know, we've heard a lot of medical terminology like respiratory failure and intubation and and, you know, and just like plain terms. What that means is if you've got a treadmill around or the gym that you used to go to, you've seen one. Put that thing up at an eight as far as its incline. Okay, so now that's, that's like this. And then turn up the speed as, as fast as you can run. And run for as long as you can. Most of us, by two or three minutes, will be breathing 40, even 50 times a minute. 
And the reality is your body can't breathe that fast for that long. Eventually, you will become exhausted and go into cardiac arrest. And so that is the kind of case that requires an emergent intubation. And that is the kind of power behind this virus. That's what it's doing to folks. And so that's obviously a very scary reality for both the patient and, of course, as the doctor and nurses and everybody involved in the team who needs to take care uh, of that patient because uh, that procedure has to be done within seconds. I want to highlight one more thing about PPE. You've heard about shields and masks and all the things that we're being asked to, to wear. You know, it's, it's very challenging putting this stuff on correctly and taking it off correctly. Uh, there was a study done some years ago that in peacetime, when there wasn't an outbreak, uh, had a bunch of providers uh, gown up uh, in, uh, in, a, in a space and, and wear all the gear. A, a substance that glows in the dark was sprayed on them. Then they were asked to take off all the stuff and black lights go on. 100% of those doctors and nurses still had traces of the disease, of the uh, gl gl you know, glowing substance on them. So this is, this is tough stuff for all of us. And you're not going to have to be the source on this, but I know that doctors where you work and medical staff in Los Angeles and California and New York are being forced to reuse um, protective equipment because there's not enough. And that is unacceptable. And we are really risking you guys. And once we start losing you guys and doing the work, we're not going to have enough people to save people. And it's dire. Last thing, if you could tell the president something about your reality and what you want him to keep in mind when he's making the judgment of what to do and when, what would you want him to know? I'd say, I, I, I'd say, look, there's a chance here, uh, and I think we're all really desperate for it, for real positive leadership. Think back to FDR, Eisenhower, uh, great names in American leadership in wartime. Um, what we need on the front line, and we really are your front line team here, and I speak for physicians and nurses, uh, I think, who are in the ER and, and ICUs across the country uh, as best as I can, that we really need encouragement, we need protection, and we need you to take this seriously. And I know, I know that's something that you can do, and we would really appreciate it. Dr. Ryan McGarry, you're not just our hands, you're our heart, and you're our best chance going forward. God bless and know that we support you. We believe in you. No matter what's said in politics, know that the American people know who's saving their lives. And we all owe you a debt of gratitude for what you've done and what, unfortunately, we know you're going to be forced to do. Thank you, Chris. I appreciate it. Be safe, brother. And thank you. Thank you. Doctors, they're going to be there. It's going to be bad. We have to think about them and we have to think for them in terms of what's best for them as well. Now, how about the patients? You've got to hear their stories. Two ways, by the way. Not just scaring you with, look how bad this is, but we never talk about all the people that recover from this. Once in a while, I throw it in 80%. 80% will get over this, will be asymptomatic. But what about those cases? A brave nurse I introduced you to early on. She took a turn for the worse after that. Now, she and some of her family have fought through. How are they doing now in Washington? Karen Goheen, you'll remember, back with an update next. I'll let you behind the curtain a little bit. We introduced you to somebody early on in this situation called Karen Goheen. She's a nurse uh, in Washington. She was right in the epicenter. Her mother was in that elder care center uh, where they had the outbreak in the beginning. She couldn't get to her mom. And then she found out she had coronavirus and she was home and she was vital and she was great. Well, after we talked to her, she took a turn for the worse. And she went into the hospital and she was on a ventilator. And we were so worried and we couldn't get her. And... Uh, 
you know, she meant so much in terms of our overcoming this. And thank God she came out of the hospital. She got back in touch with us and I'm able to bring you back tonight. I hope it means nearly as much uh, to Karen and to all of you as it did to me and the team uh, to see her face. Karen Goheen, it is so good to have you back. You look great. I, I was so worried for you uh, when you went in. I uh, was so brave, worried about your father who was sick, worried about your brother who was sick. You couldn't see your mother. How are you doing now? Yeah, I'm doing a lot better. I'm still having a little bit of trouble catching my breath sometimes, but pretty close to 100 percent. And it got a little scary there uh, being in the hospital. You yeah. used to it as a nurse. But what was the experience like as a patient? Well, I, I have to just correct you, some, Chris. I, I didn't make it to a ventilator. I was on oxygen. Oxygen. But I didn't okay. have to go on a ventilator. Oh, good. Okay? Thank God. Thank God. So, um, but, you know, when you can't even stand up at your bedside and get to, you know, the toilet at the side of the bed without being short of breath, it, it was pretty scary. And look, it's important for people to know that because a lot of people are still being really nonchalant about this. Yeah. And your father, how is he? He was in the hospital. He had it as well. How's he doing? Well, he's he's coming right along. He's pretty tired, too, but um, he's stable. He's looking good. Yeah, we're we're really encouraged and really happy good. that we've so far all made it out. Good. I know he's with you. I know you're being able to take care of him again. I know how much that means to yeah. you. Now, the mystery was your mom. You couldn't get information. Yeah. We were banging on the door of that place trying to get him to open up and help you learn more. They tested your mom once, twice. What did you figure out? Well, she was tested once and was negative, and then she was tested again, and it was positive, which made us really scared. But we went and visited her today. She looks really good. She's had no symptoms since she was tested positive. <laughs> Look at those so, two. Um, she looks great. We're hoping to get her home maybe this next week so that my mom and dad can be together again and so they can hold hands and keep each other company through whatever is to come next. Oh, Karen, you're just, you, you know, you're just, you're opening up our hearts here. And it's just beautiful to see the family come through this uh, together to this point. God willing, you know, by the grace, everything stays good going forward. Yeah. And, you know, I'd love to get your take on something. Uh, this message, Karen, uh, that, you know what, they're going to have to be sacrifices here. And some of the old yeah. people may have to, you know, Take it on the chin for the country so that we can open the economy again and get people back to work. It sounds so cruel to me, just so against what we're about. And as someone who's just been fighting and watching your parents fight and you know how much life they have left and what they mean to your family. What do you think of that kind of message? Well, I think that message is wrong. I think the problem is, is that if you let all these people get sick because we're not being careful, that's going to be really bad for the economy, too. That's going to be really bad for our health care system. It costs a lot to have a lot of people in the hospital. There is no dollar amount you can put on people's lives. You have to do everything you can to prevent this virus from spreading. The economy will return. The economy will will improve over time. We've seen it time and time and again. We're a strong country. We have to pull together, care for each other. We would never get through this if we don't. And we can't sacrifice the lives 
of our wise elders for the economy. Okay, I totally disagree with that idea. I think we that can get through this. We will get through it, and we'll get through it because of the strength of people like you and families like yours that Thank stay you. together, we weak and strong. We had, a, we had a lot of people pulling for us, praying for us, letting us know that they were thinking about us and they cared. So that's what we have to do as a country. We have to pull together the same way we did during World War II to overcome all of that stuff. This is the same kind of battle. We can pull together and overcome it together, but we have to work on it together. We have to care a lot about each other, much more than money. Okay. Karen, you make me, you know, you make me get all soft inside. I, you're, hurting my, you're hurting my TV persona image uh, right now. We need to, an expression for your family. You have going hard and getting through something, but you got go hard and then you got go heen. And you guys are just so tough and you made it through together and your heart is filled with love and you just want to help the people around you. You're just the best of us. And I'm so happy that even in this circumstance, you came into our lives. It's so beautiful to get to know you and see what you've done for yourself and your family and what you're about. God bless you and the family. And I'm so happy you came through the worst of it. Thank you so much, Chris. My love to all of those people out there. If you get it, I'm praying for you and all the nurses and doctors. I'm keeping you in my heart. You are so special. We love you all. And you're one of them. You're a nurse. Get well, get back to work and send my love to your parents. Okay. Thank you, Chris. All right. Nice talking with you. Boy, is she tough. That thing, she gets me, that Karen, but it's also allergy season, so don't take it too much. The cost of human life, as Karen said, how do you make a calculation about when is the right time to reduce the preparations and reduce our only defenses? What do you make of a politician getting a huge platform to say what Karen Goheen just rejected on instinct alone. That some of you people, the greatest generation, you're great, but you're not that great. Maybe it's time to go for the rest of us. What do you think of that? I'll tell you what I think next. President Trump sees Easter as the perfect time to reopen the economy and loosen restrictions. Listen to him. I would love to have the country opened up and they're just raring to go by Easter. I think Easter Sunday, and you'll have packed churches all over our country. I think it would be a beautiful time. Based on what? No expert backed him up on the Easter call. Not one piece of science, not one projection. Now, I'm not sure the president knows Easter's theme. It's rebirth and renewal. But assuming he does, why would he invite the opposite of rebirth and renewal? Fact, more than 100 Americans died from coronavirus today, more than 700 total. The virus is accelerating. So with those as the facts, give me one reason it would be safe or smart or effective to reopen during the period of most cases. His answer. I don't want the cure to be worse than the problem itself. The problem being obviously the problem. And, you know, you can destroy a country this way by closing it down. 
The problem being obviously the problem. What is not obviously is that the cure is not a cure. It's arbitrary. He's a fan of money first, mortality second. False choice, you say. You can have both protection and economy, you say. Then why are fringe righties saying all of a sudden they'd rather die than kill the country? And why is this lieutenant governor from Texas, you have no reason to know about, getting a prime time spot to say this to a silent state newser? Are you willing to take a chance on your survival in exchange for keeping the America that all America loves for your children and grandchildren? And if that's the exchange, I'm all in. Hmm. Kill my grandparents or my parents so that we can get the economy. Sounds pretty good. Don't make that call for my family. I guess he's the guy who can answer that absurd question you'd get when you were a kid. You have to pick one. Who are you going to kill? And you can't say neither. I guess he's the guy who answers that question. The rest of us dismiss it. You know why? It's absurd. We don't put a price on people's life. My answer has always been, then I'd shoot me because I'm not going to shift my burden onto the people I love. And as a people, we should face things together because that is the only damn thing that has ever gotten us anywhere, especially when we are far from any point of no return economically. The same cannot be said about how we can press our luck with this pandemic. Then who are we saying it to? The people who built this country, who saved the free world, who carved the code of our character, our best examples of perseverance, the greatest generation, they're going to be sacrificed. For what? Fear over fact? The fear that Trump's efforts to be president will be hurt? This is the worst job by him to divide us, yet us versus them take it to an existential plane. Who lives and who dies? And the only apparent basis is that it feels better to Trump. And let's be honest, not just to Trump, for Trump. You wear your MAGA hats, right? Make America great again. Square this suggestion with that. The greatest generation, those we all talk about as our inspiration, and rightly so. We're going to tell them we care about you the least. Let me tell you something about this pandemic. It's showing us warts and all, best and worst. It is a proving ground for everything about us. What choices our leaders make, what choices we make, they will all reflect what we are made of, and we are better than this. We don't choose who dies. We get through it together as ever as one. Amid all the pain, there are also bright lights. We have Americans, and we're watching you, you Americans. We got them both. Next. First, Americans holding a coronavirus party in Kentucky. You know, a lot of young people tell me that they're being targeted unfairly. Then call these people out yourselves. Okay, now one of the partiers has tested positive. This isn't about shaking a finger at you. Point it at yourself. Care, please. Now, these next two, they need a slap. There's no other way to say it. These two teenagers caught filming themselves coughing on produce at a Virginia grocery store. They were found to have just coughed on their sleeves. It was just a prank. But you know what? It's not funny. Not now. And the grocery store threw out hundreds of dollars worth of produce just when people need it the most. Be better. Okay, be an American like these from downtown Detroit's biggest landlord. They waived up to three months rent 
building expenses and parking fees to its restaurant and retail tenants. The plan is going to help dozens of small businesses. Good for them. Those who can must do now. How about this? Colorado kindergarten teacher delivering educational packages to each of her 27 students, along with air hugs and kisses at every door. No no wonder we love teachers so much, right? Americans also turning to those little free libraries that you see. Now they're turning them into little free pantries, stocking them with canned goods and other essentials for their neighbors. Beautiful. And not all who do good are named. Especially in this city, we got to remember the public transit workers. Three cheers for Mr. and Mrs. Bus Driver, the train conductor. Why? They're working nonstop. They're scared. They don't have the right equipment. Why? Because they know they have to get essential workers, especially healthcare heroes, to the front lines. Beautiful. The worst calls us to be our best. And thank God we're seeing it. I know times are scary. I know choices get hard. I know the financial anxiety is real, but you can't let fear guide you. We are better when we are together. And if we stay there, we'll get through it. Thank you for watching CNN Tonight with D. Lemon right now. Right Now streaming exclusively on Max, a new CNN flash talk about the album that has Nashville talking. Call me country. Beyonce and Nashville's renaissance. Watch it at max.com slash call me country. Max subscription required.